As you start to reach more people, things start to feel more complex. There's more to do and more to keep track of, and it starts to actually take time away from creating content. I felt this struggle personally. The more creator science grew, the more it felt like I was dropping the ball. So I did something about it. I built a set of rock solid systems, all in Notion to support the business as we grew. And it worked like a charm. I've now taken my personal Notion setup and productized it. It's called Creator HQ, and it's the complete operating system that you need for your creator business. I built Creator HQ to be an all-in-one workspace designed to save you more time, create more content, and drive more revenue. By leveraging Creator HQ, we are publishing more than we ever have, and we're nearing $1 million in annual revenue because of it. It brings all of your data and processes into one place with custom-built dashboards to reduce friction in managing tasks, creating content, and collaborating with your team. I've seriously spent more than three years building this, and now you can have the same systems that I use right out of the box. In the lab, one of our members just posted, I have spent the last few weeks diving into Creator HQ, learning how it works, and making it my own. This is the first time in a while that I felt this organized and filled with hope that I can find a workflow that will work for me with my whole business. This is gold. I will definitely be giving a testimonial for this badass product. If you're new to Notion, don't worry. I've included a ton of specific tutorials to help you learn how to use Notion generally and Creator HQ specifically. I've never seen another Notion product integrate tutorials like we have here. More than 300 other creators are already using Creator HQ, and I am not exaggerating when I say I would be lost without this system. Creator HQ is what keeps the trains running over here. As a podcast listener, I'm giving you my best price. You can get 10% off using the promo code podcast at checkout. Just head to creatorhq.co to watch the video and learn more. That's creatorhq.co and use promo code podcast to save 10%. Hello, my friend. Welcome to another episode of Creator Science. I'm going to call this the first episode in a series called The Moving Files because Mallory and I right now are moving homes and I've been without Wi-Fi for a week. It's been a trying, trying time, but we are uh, settling in just about ready to get back onto Wi-Fi, literally. Don't even have Wi-Fi yet. So today I'm recording kind of a spur of the moment episode with my good friend and editor of the YouTube channel, Connor. Connor, say hello. Hello. Connor's rocking his wonderful Freddie Mercury mustache uh, once again. That's right. (laughs) In this audio only episode. And we are going to talk a little bit about our experience on YouTube in the last year, because as of this week, actually, as of yesterday, the channel is one year old from the first full length interview upload an episode with Justin Moore, followed by an episode with Justin Welsh. And I feel like we've learned a lot in the first year, Connor. Yeah. Learned a whole lot. A lot. Mostly that I have zero idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and you're, you're the one who pitched me on doing video in the first place. That's true. I, uh, let's, let's tell the story. So I put out a tweet a year ago. I was close to burning out, and I was like, I need a virtual assistant. Yeah. Does anybody have any idea who I should hire? And then Connor enters the chat. Yeah, it was, I saw the tweet. It was like 11 PM on a Tuesday. I had nothing going on <laughs> like, like, like work wise. And I was like, I haven't talked to Jay since pre pandemic. We'd done some work together previously. 
I don't know. I could use some extra money. Might as well see if I can take up some like part-time assistant work. I messaged you, hey, are you looking for an assistant? Can I be considered? You said no. <laughs> well, I think you said, are you looking for a video assistant or something? Because yeah. Well, I, I was I was originally applying just for the assistant role, nothing video related. And you were like, well, you don't want to do the actual assistant part. What about <laughs> what about video? I was like, yeah, I had a video. Why don't we why don't we go ahead and do this? Yeah. And I was like, OK, let's see what you got. And then you came to me with like a literal Google document. Yeah. That, that Google document. Just, do people say Google document? Uh, Google doc that was like several pages long, very thought out about why the podcast, Creative Elements at the time, should be a video show. Yeah. Which I hadn't really thought about. And that Google doc almost didn't get presented because you were running busy that day. And you were like, hey, I might oh, have really? to reschedule. And I was like, I kind of put something together. And you're like, can you can you do it right now? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it right now. I forgot about that. Yeah. So we well, hopped on a call right away. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't expecting you to be that prepared, to be honest. Yeah. I really wasn't. You showed up with this multi-page Google document about why you thought the show should be in video. I remember you would, I think you had just like gotten a haircut. Like you were very clean cut. And I was like man, Connor's got his shit together. This yeah. is not Which what I was I expecting. <laughs> Which I didn't. <laughs> it was all for show. But yeah, I went from I went from looking for an assistant to, okay, I think I think we should do the, the show in video. I mean, I had thought about video previous to that, but you got to understand if you're listening to this and you aren't yet in the video world, I had gotten at least close enough to realize that this would be a completely different animal. Yeah. Because I didn't, what I didn't want to do was like do a low production. Here's the raw footage out of whatever tool you choose to record with side by side video. I just didn't think that was interesting enough. And even at that point, like I was really valuing the quality of the work yeah. and how things looked and how things felt. And I wanted it to be remarkable. And I just didn't think I could do that personally. I didn't want to add video editing to my skill pile personally. Yeah. Cause I think one of the first conversations we had was about whether or not like you had mentioned, Hey, maybe we just upload uncut footage because the audio episode was so produced and so edited that you didn't know if you could keep it that same format in video. Cause obviously it's much easier to hide cuts in audio than it is in video and make it like not look bad. Totally. And I was doing a lot of cuts. I yeah. mean, I was spending, I was doing the majority of editing on the video ep or the audio episodes at that point. I was putting in five to eight hours per episode yeah. and think my initial thought was, okay, if I'm going to edit the audio as I'm doing now, how will we possibly then edit the video the same way? I hadn't begun thinking about re-engineering the process entirely yet. Yeah. Which we do now. Now we do the initial edit in video. How about you uh, explain kind of the, the workflow that we do now? Yeah. The initial workflow starting or what we do now? Let's do both. Okay. So starting the initial was just kind of get an interview, prep it up, and mostly remove fillers, like ums, awkward spaces, and just kind of redo timing, which was pretty easy. What do you mean by prep it up? That might not be something people understand. Uh, sync, like sync video and audio, and color correct any of the guest footage, because I think one of the issues that we run into is not all of our guests have like good cameras or good white balance or everything like that. So I try and compensate for that as much as possible, because... I don't want like your video looking really good and the other one just looking like absolute shit. I want to like 
tune it up as much as I can, which isn't always possible because sometimes video is just video or lighting is just bad. But I'll go through and do all those quality stuff to make it look good, uh, make sure everything's synced. And then uh, prior, I would break it out into three acts broken up by the two mid rolls and audio. Because initially, when we were doing this, we wanted the video production to be nearly the exact same as audio. So we had baked in two mid rolls that on the YouTube channel we used to promote the email newsletter and then audio episodes. So if you go back and watch those initial videos on the YouTube channel, there's going to be two self ads, um, which I don't even know if they worked or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. Attribution is hard. But let's let's dig into a couple things real quick. Uh, first of all, you mentioned in part of the prepping, you're doing syncing of audio and video. Yep. We use Riverside. I personally love at Riverside. I think among the options, Riverside is great. Yeah. But it's not without some syncing required on our end. Yeah. It's usually, yeah, it it's pretty system dependent. Like yours is always like three frames off and guests are like three to six. I, I, I think it depends on the system. I'm not sure of like the actual technical details behind it. It's gotten a lot better. Like, like when we had first used it, there were problems with like artifacting or lagging and things like that in video that still kind of happen, but much less frequently and much less noticeable. Yeah. So one note for you guys listening is when I started recording with a guest, I still start with a clap and same with the voiceover recording I do afterwards because that's easier for Connor to sync up. Yeah. Yeah. I would recommend that. I know like depending on whatever service you edit on has auto syncs, but it's always going to be a good idea to sync with the clap just to make sure. So initially we thought that the video version of the show would be just like the audio version of the show, but with video. And so in the beginning, it was a lot of me trying to impart how I edit the show to Connor. I was like, Hey, listen, basically three acts, as he was saying, we have two mid rolls in the audio show. So you have the intro of the episode, which is like literally the intro that I record. Then we have like the, the first bit of the interview, which he called act one. Then we have act two between the two mid rolls and then act three afterwards. And part of that format was taking a little bit of an audio clip from basically all of those acts, typically in the intro of an episode, which would run somewhere between three and five minutes, usually about four minutes long in audio. I would have two to three, usually three audio clips from the episode to kind of introduce what's going to be spoken about and introduce the guests. So in the beginning, it was a lot of me telling Connor how I was doing that in audio. But we quickly found out that that's not exactly what YouTube viewers want or need. Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> they don't care. They don't they care wanna, at all. They want to click play and get into the thing that was promised in the package yeah. as quickly as possible. Especially because the, the viewer behavior is so much different on YouTube where it's, if you're thinking about a new viewer, a new viewer uh, on YouTube versus a new listener in audio, it's a completely different click. You're, it's way more of a commitment and likelihood just to stay in audio because it's like, I don't know what the retention on the audio episodes is. It's like 90 something super percent. High. It's super high. That's in, that's absurd to get on YouTube, which is why it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um. So like we had to change from, oh, people are just going to watch because Jay's good at interviewing and we're going to get good information out of this guest. That's a big ask for a new viewer to wait five minutes to get to that. So like we had to switch that around and reaffirm their click that they made a good decision clicking on our podcast and listening to it right from the get go because we can't have them wait five yeah. minutes to get to something good. Yeah. And this is something that I just 
I mean, the bet in doing YouTube at all was, well, this will get the show in front of new people and potentially more people because YouTube is the second biggest search engine on the planet. Yep. It's a it's a place where you get a lot of new viewers if you do a good job. I knew that going in. What I didn't understand about that premise, though, was by nature of this, you are constantly auditioning to a new person. Exactly. So they, they have no patience for your format. They don't know who I am. Yeah. They don't care who I am. They want what was promised in the package. Whereas in, in audio, there's already a pretty high level of trust when you put an audio episode in someone's feed, they have chosen to subscribe. Your audio is only getting listened to by subscribers, people who already at least know you, probably like you a little bit. There's more patience. It's a different medium entirely. And situationally, it's such uh, it's way more committive, like going to a movie versus watching something on Netflix. Like you're going to be way more mm. likely to click off on something on Netflix if they don't have a good intro because like, I spent whatever, $15 at the movie theater, getting a ticket, getting popcorn, getting a slushy, And I'm sitting here with all these other people. It's such yeah. like to leave that is, is a big action. Whereas on Netflix, it's just a click. Like, yeah. I don't have to walk up. I didn't spend $15 for this one event, which is what going to a movie is, would be an event versus something more passive like YouTube video or Netflix. And it's like YouTube is even like exponentially bigger than Netflix because even on Netflix, you're kind of like clicking to sit down and watch, whereas YouTube is much more passive, uh, either second screen or just like kind of click and watch. Everything's That's a lot faster. I was actually just thinking that it was the opposite. I was thinking that audio is more passive because it's often a sidecar to something else you're doing. Like it's very portable elsewhere. I, yeah, I, I guess passive, passive in the sense of like driving doing dishes or something like that is for sure. Right. Um, I mean, passive as in like more conscious of the time you're spending, I guess I could have rephrased that better, but it's like, you're way more conscious on spending time watching a YouTube video than you would putting on an audio while you're doing yeah. something else. Yeah. Cause it, yeah. it feels like you're more committed to that time. So you want the most out of it. You can. Whereas if you're listening to like a bad podcast episode while you're doing dishes, it doesn't really yeah. matter. Cause it's like, you're, you're already doing something else. I also totally misunderstood where views on YouTube come from. I think yeah. initially I thought that we were going to get all our views from search Right. Which is like, I don't know, what percentage of our views come from search now? Less than 10. Less than 10%. Yeah. Crazy. And that's all coming from like probably Justin Welsh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like And Jake Thomas. Yeah. People searching them by name and and there's less content, but they're they're known in those communities. So yeah, what the game on YouTube is browse and recommended. And that is, I mean, to me, you tell me how you feel about this. It feels like when you upload a new video and you press it live, YouTube is very good about giving that video a shot on browse and recommended to some number of potential people. Yeah. And if that goes well, then it expands, goes to more people. If that initial audition to whatever audience it showed it to does not go well, your video's kind of dead, at least for a while. Yeah, for sure. It, it definitely works like that. It's it's kind of weird starting out because obviously the algorithm kind of has a hard time knowing who should watch your videos. And obviously that develops as your channel gets more mature. And once it does start to develop and get more mature, that initial audience that it's sending out to is always going to be mm -hmm. your core mm -hmm. audience. Mm -hmm. So it's like, no matter what you're making, you have to hit that core because you can make the greatest video, greatest episode in the world. If it doesn't hit that core audience, it's not going to get shown to anyone else because YouTube thinks it's not good. 
at least from my understanding, that's why you have to hit that. And and why it's so important to like stay on topic and remember your audience and why they're clicking. Because if you miss that, then the episode's kind of dead in the water. I think that's what makes getting started so difficult because YouTube just doesn't have a lot of data yet. Yeah. It, it doesn't know who your core audience is. If you don't make good videos in the beginning and it shows it to its you know, guests of uh, a core audience and it doesn't perform with that group because it wasn't right, yeah. then all it knows is, okay, not those people or this video was bad. It takes like a video to do well, I feel, for YouTube to get the amount of data that it really wants and needs to say, okay, I think we, we have a good sense of who should be the viewer of this channel. For sure. It's definitely like that. And that's why like er early on, like uh, when we had talked to like Trent Hare early on talking about blowing up on a video could actually be bad for your channel if that brings in the wrong kind of viewers. Now, like with interview formats and podcasting is a little bit different because it's that initial you're, you need to have a video pop off to like be consistent is much harder because it's less, it's less idea focused in terms of how can I make this like, um, how can I make an enticing video on browse that some random person is going to click. It's much harder with an interview format than if uh, like say totally. Mr. Beast or something, when I can just come <laughs> up with a random idea um, or like an insane idea and do it. There's much less action involved. Yeah. I don't know if I would recommend to folks listening to this. If you're starting a channel from zero, I don't know if podcast long form interviews is the easiest path to take. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. I think there's definitely room to be worked in doing short form interviews that kind of stuff and then like mixing around, but like just hour long episodes that try and be everything, it's going to be, you're going to have a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you guys are hearing panting or water lapping, Ted and Winnie have now entered the chat walking around us trying to keep them happy and <laughs> off our backs. Just a quick break for our sponsors and we'll be right back to the show. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers, and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids entertainment, and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and Creator Now, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link slash J. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot link slash J and let them know that I sent you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Last year, my wife and I started talking about her joining the business full time. This is a huge decision, not just for the business, but for our marriage. 
My wife, being the very smart and thoughtful woman that she is, suggested that we proactively sign up for therapy as a couple to help us communicate better before we started working together. It really helped us have better language to describe how we're feeling and listen to one another, which generally lowers the intensity of any conversation. Now, I had never been in therapy before, but here's something that I didn't expect. It didn't just help our dialogue, but it helped my inner monologue too. The way I understand my own experience has changed based on the tools that I got from therapy. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, it fits your schedule, and you can be in the comfort of your own home. Just fill out a short questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. They even make it easy to switch therapists if it doesn't feel like a fit. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com creator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash creator. And now back to the show. Okay, so we kind of covered the original experience, the original edit, the original format of yeah. the show. And those episodes were like an hour long. Yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll say something on that too. I think the the initial approach that I that I wanted to do was... I think a lot of people make a mistake with remote podcasting and trying to make it too much like in-person podcasting because feeling wise, they're way different. So much different. And a lot of people that do remote try and replicate that same feeling as an in-person podcast. And it just doesn't work unless your guest has like really good mic and camera and you can like kind of set that vibe as like a dual studio type of thing, then you can kind of do it like remote wise. The editing podcast does it where it's like they'll have their angles set up. So it's not like you're looking directly to a camera and stuff like that. We decided against that mostly because of like guest restrictions and the fact I approached this editing it more like uh like a Twitch stream than I would a normal podcast because at the end of the day, even a remote podcast conversation, it's still just two people talking to a camera and I want to lean into that and make it more digital than try and fight against it and make it try and make it seem like it's something it's not. Tell me more about that. What do you mean by a Twitch stream versus? So like uh, overlays. So like when we're cutting to B-roll, having their overlay on screen. So it's, it's more like a presentation and you're getting talked to than talked at. And it's like you're watching them have a normal conversation live where they're like talking through and working through different things. Sort of the vibe is sort of like the last few episodes, probably starting with the Justin Moore two, where you guys go through and um, talk about his coaching business is when I really started to lean into that and make it as digital focused as possible rather than trying to make it look like a normal interview. Yeah, it's it's tough. So there's a couple of like subtexts here that I want to dig into. One, you mentioned the angles and how the editing podcast does this well. Yeah. I want you guys to picture this and think about this because I don't think most people have thought about this. When you watch an in-person interview, a video that was of an interview done in person, what you'll probably notice is that the cameras are at what, like a 45 degree angle, looking usually at one subject, but off to the side, not directly on. Yeah, usually on an in-person like interview, you would have three to four camera angles 
Two of them are going to be just the individual person. Then you're going to have one, which is a dual view, which is going to be like a flat spot of the table or wherever they're sitting. And then um, like the higher end podcast is going to have a fourth floating camera, which is going to look more handheld. It's going to give you like that more of a you're in the room with them type of feel rather than an actual setup. And none of those cameras are looking directly flat at the subject. No. And so that that feels just a little bit more, how would you say, like passive or like I'm a yeah. viewer. I'm like a third party spectator to yeah. the conversation. Right. Whereas in a remote interview, you're typically set up so that you're looking at a camera or a webcam yeah. directly on. So it's like that person is at best speaking directly to you, at worst staring through your soul. Right. <laughs> Which yeah. is like not the ideal viewing experience on yeah. YouTube. It's not what people are accustomed to. Yeah. There's a there's an really old video. I don't know if anybody knows the YouTuber Rumi. He made like the he 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 used to do music impressions where he'd be like one guy, 43 voices. And his like first two videos, like he doesn't break eye contact with the camera. And you can go through his con his comments. And it's every single comment is about like he doesn't break eye contact. Yeah. Yeah, we even just got a comment on the channel recently of someone saying like, hey, this is a great video, but I found it a little uncomfortable that Jay's looking at the camera all the time. And I'm like, all right, heard, I get it, I get it. Um, but it's hard to solve for because like, it'd be easy for me to change the camera view or set an angle in, in yeah. my studio. But the, the experience is weird if the guest isn't doing that as well. Totally. And it's really hard to, and I, I have like probably the best opportunity of anybody to, to coach the guest on doing an angle from a remote recording, but like I still feel like it would be difficult for me and the people that I'm bringing on to be like, okay, and now like let's make sure that this is set up at an angle. And yeah, it's weird because you're adding stuff for them, and it's like we've had this conversation about getting assets. Uh, from guests for thumbnails, and it's like if it's not perfect, then it doesn't really help us. So it's like at that point, do you even say anything or just kind of yeah. roll with the punches? Yeah, it's hard. So. One thing that we try to do, well, let's talk about some of the things we do visually to break up the frame, because yeah. I think something that you knew from the beginning that we haven't really talked about is the importance of pacing yeah. and visual change and novelty. Yeah. With a lot of remote interviews, when COVID happened, people got really accustomed to the normal like dual box, quad box, like zero editing, just set it up on an overlay. People are talking for an hour. That's typically how podcasting was because it's like podcasting came up from comedians who just sit down and talk. And that's like how podcasting was. And it's an it's it's an inherently lazy medium done by people who are really <laughs> talented. And that's like why why, why they, it works, why yeah, it can't work at all. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why it worked. And like everyone tried to replicate that. We're just like, oh, I'm just going to sit down and talk. Oh, I'm just going to sit down and interview. It's like that kind of stuff just doesn't work, especially post COVID because it normalized everything being remote. So doing that, I wanted to make it, I, I wanted to start to break it up where it's like, I only have two camera angles to work with. How can I make that those two camera angles seem more than two? And that's like using the dual view, which gives us three. It's not an ideal three because it's the same two just put together. But visually for a viewer, it is a little bit different. Then we're going to break up by like cutting in and out for guests or Jays, um, like how they're speaking and to try and enhance 
whatever point they're making, whether it's like a cut in for a dramatic point to make sure that gets across, cutting out to come back and switching up. And then pacing wise, I try and keep it pretty fast, mostly because then when something serious comes or a guest is really explaining where it's normally I'm cutting between things like, let's say anytime, anywhere from five to 30 seconds, then if you have film booth ed going on, you know, a three minute talk about metaphors, that's going to hit much harder because I'm just going to sit on that because he's engaging and stuff like that versus if that was no cuts and stuff like that, the entire tone throughout the episode is the same and and it's hard to feel and go through a storytelling process with that. Yeah. So if you guys haven't watch the channel yet by the way if you're listening to this and you literally haven't even seen what we've done on the channel yet really encourage you to go and watch one of the most recent videos with patty or ed because or jamie we get we get better every week and Mm -hmm. those three are definitely our best work uh and by our i mean connor because connor does (laughs) (laughs) all of the editing and visuals that, that i'm talking about here so check out connor's handiwork on the channel it it's really it's really elevated like i don't think there were many examples for us to look at for remote interview shows that were visually interesting. And I think we've done a pretty good job of trying some stuff out and we see people taking inspiration from our stuff now. Yeah. Which is cool. It's very (laughs) cool. cool. Which is awesome. Yeah. We like it. Okay. So the other change that's really happened is we are getting much more ruthless about cutting down the length of the episodes. Yes. So one of the, Back to something we said earlier where our initial idea was to keep production as similar to audio as possible. And that kind of kept the vibe of how Jay actually goes about doing the interview and how I edit it, where it was just like kind of straightforward. And then as we've grown as a channel and as we've talked to like people like Patty Galloway and done his accelerator, which was insane we kind of realized we can't do that. We have to get more focused on the prep work. And that's where a lot of our shifting has come. Starting with Jamie's episode was the first we did this where you and I sit down before a guest comes on and we'll talk about what's the most important piece of information or most interesting information this guest has that our audience needs. Because once we have a list of that, we can then go back and say, can we package this? So like with Jamie's, his big thing was blowing up the Zach and Jay show. They were a super fast growing channel, hit like 900K in in 12 months. How did he do it? He did it by stealing quote unquote ideas and repurposing them. I can package that. So it's like, we're going to take that. And then that's that idea is going to guide how Jay interviews the guest. It's going to guide how I edit it. It's going to guide how I write the intro and it's going to guide how I do the concepts for packaging for titles and thumbnails. So versus the old process where I would just kind of get an interview and figure it out. We transferred a lot of that time to the beginning. So we know what the through line of an episode is going to be before the interview. Yeah. Initially the podcast, I think this is true of a lot of interview shows it can be very wide ranging. And sometimes people pitch that as like the positive for the interview. Like if you listen to a Tim Ferriss interview, he'll say, enjoy this wide ranging conversation with guest." And in a YouTube world, especially if you're building from zero, wide ranging isn't really your friend. No, not because you don't know how to package it. Whatever you do choose as a package. And we'll talk about packaging here in a second. If this is a new term for folks, whatever you do choose as a package, 
people are gonna want that in the video and once they get it, they're probably gonna click away. So retention will be low. So what we've learned is, I don't even think about these as interviews anymore because initially it was kind of like a profile of the person. You know, what was your beginning? What was your origin story? What happened then? What happened next? You know, where did you get to now? And now I think about each episode as its own asset of teaching a very specific skill or imparting a very specific idea. Yeah. So that if I want to talk to you about packaging, I'll say you should go watch our interview with Patty Galloway because that episode in a lot of ways it's about packaging. Yeah. Yeah. It is and uh like the for that one ideas too. Um like a lot of any any YouTube person interview, the general thing is going to be ideas because that's just like how it is. But it's like specifics of packaging ideas. Ed is like making ideas interesting and things like that. And as far as general interviews, it's like you can do that. It's just hard, really hard to grow. Like you can look at someone like Colin and Samir who can absolutely do that and get views because they're that authority. But like people don't know who you are. People they didn't know start that way. Exactly. They, yeah, they, they didn't start that way. They started very specific, like with vlogs. They didn't even start with interviews. They started as being like the creator economy guys and then built that up. I think you really have to earn the right to be wide ranging. Yes, a hundred percent. Like you have to, you have to get there elsewhere. And I mean, that way. that's the goal with this show is like, even when we have big episodes, like blow up like patties, I'm aware that every episode we post isn't going to get 20 times our normal views, which is what that did. Cause it's at like 42 K right now. And in, and in three, I, I think it was posted a little less than a month ago. Usually an episode would be a, a good episode would be at like 2000, 2,500. So you're 20 Xing that. Of course, that's not going to happen every episode, but if we can raise the floor and get more people in there, that's going to be like, I know whatever episode is posted, I'm going to learn something, even if it's like not something I specifically know right now I needed to learn. And more people like that uh, to build up the core and just get more people in your overall ecosystem, not just the YouTube channel. Yeah. And that's been the whole goal with us. That's that's something that I take very seriously with the creator science business as a whole. You know, I'm I'm in a mastermind with some guys and I was talking about how much work doing video is it's a lot and how how much of a strain it puts on the entire system and they looked at just our metrics this is like months ago and they're like oh you should just stop doing youtube and maybe you should stop doing podcasting entirely. <laughs> and i was just like no like i i hear where you're coming from but like i don't want to i don't want to just be another person who learns how to be really good at copywriting and builds a business on a Twitter following because I can copyright. Like I want to hit all these different platforms, all these different mediums because we're helping people in all these mediums. We need to learn how these things work. And uh, it's a good thing we stuck with it because these yeah. last two videos, we were talking before we started recording, these last two videos on the channel with Patty and Ed, I think the views on them combined is greater than all of the other videos before them will combine most but yeah i think so i think those two right now have like fifty thousand, and i think total excluding shorts we probably have like a hundred twenty thousand views so it's like at least half if you take out the outliers from that 120 like the justin welsh uh the hayden and the jake thomas then yeah it's less than those two videos account for the entire catalog it's crazy and the really exciting thing we won't know if this is true yet because you can't really see a trend without more than two data points. Like you need three data points at least to see a trend. But Patty's video was a breakout. Then Ed's video got off to an even better start than Patty's still yeah. is. So 
A lot of that, though, looked like came from Ed sharing on his page. Yeah, there was a lot of initial traffic from channel pages, which I don't know. It did Ed share on his YouTube? Is yep. that where it came from? Yeah. Yep. So I think, or I think first day that was twenty five percent of traffic, and then what would it be? I think sixty five percent was browse, and then the rest was like miscellaneous other things. Hattie's was all browse, which is good. They're both good. Like even channel page, even that uh, channel page growth was really good. Yeah. Like those browse channel pages is, is awesome. So my theory, and again, we'll find out soon, is that now YouTube has much more data and more accurate data on who is the viewer profile for this channel yeah. outside of their immediate subscribers. Yeah. And especially when it comes to like YouTube creators, because I think that's the interesting thing before, like these last couple of interviews have been super YouTube focused, even though there's a lot of learnings there that non-YouTubers take. Cause it's just like, it's the same as like the title principles and all that stuff is the same as copywriting. It's just attention yeah. and psychology, but yeah. So, so that's, that's, that's the caveat of this, of this audience is like, now we have a very YouTube more focused audience. So it's like in the future, if we want to package something, even if it's not YouTube related, we're still selling it to YouTubers. So we have to keep that in mind. Just a quick break for our sponsors and we'll be right back to the show. This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several Podcast Movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event, not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, and the expo hall floor. Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a Creator Science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com science. That's podcastmovement.com science. And now, back to the show. All right. I want to continue to keep a pin in the idea of packaging because I do want to return to that. But yeah. I feel I feel like we should keep going down this thread a little bit. Uh, a few weeks ago, after Patty's Accelerator, when we realized that, okay, we should be putting more time into pre-production, we made the choice to slow down on how often we publish video episodes and yeah. to even focus what episodes become video episodes. Mm -hmm. Now we have some episodes that are audio only. We have some episodes that are in video probably some important context for you guys listening to this is it is important to me to put out a an episode on the podcast feed every week not just because it's important for me and what I've promised to you as a listener and the consistency that I want to provide but contractually I actually have to do that as part of being part of the HubSpot podcast network which I love 
So that created some friction in the YouTube process because the assumption was if we have to publish an audio episode every week, then we're publishing a video episode every week as well. And a one week turnaround time on video was stressful for me. And I think probably 10x more stressful to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, sure. and it, 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 it was like, it was just, we kept adding stuff on where it was like the initial role that I had taken on and was doing was so much different at that point where it's like all of the extra time we're putting into planning, prep, packaging just took away from everything else. Especially the biggest switch was when we started actually doing intros. Like that was the biggest stuff because like between writing and good editing, this these last two have been more simple than some previous ones. But like the intro can take like, 15 to 20% of the entire edit. And it's what a minute at most two minutes. Um, so it's like that, that just took up a ton of time. So lessening that allows me to like spend more time thinking about stuff rather than just having to turn out an episode because we have to post that week. Yeah. Which I love that strategy. I think that was, I mean, I know that was your idea, but I forget when that came into the picture, when we realized we should do intros and they should be like a trailer for the episode. It was Jake Thomas was the first one. Uh, yeah. Cause that was, that was the first one where, and it's, it's like, I don't know. This is pretty interesting. Like I look at when you're doing these episodes, you have to be very self-aware with like, what is a good potential episode and what's just a good episode. So like with Jake Thomas being so YouTube title focused, I know that that has a very high ceiling on YouTube because it's so YouTube focused and that's interesting information. So if I'm going to switch our process or switch how I'm doing something, that's the episode it's going to be because I can maximize that potential, which is the same with Patty's. Like when we did the Jamie's was the first one we did this flip and then doubled down on it for Patty's episode because that's going to be such a high ceiling episode. If I'm going to make a change, it's going to be here and then it's and then move it on forward. I remember also what kind of preceded that uh, Patty reached out to me because he was planning the accelerator and he wanted to do like a share. Yeah, That was right after we had talked to Patty. He was like, Hey, I want to talk to you about how to use circle and build community on my accelerator. And if I can give you 30 minutes of my time, we'll do it. So we jumped yeah, in and we were asking right. questions about retention. And he was basically like, let's look at your analytics. And he saw, okay, your retention in the first 90 seconds is too high. I would try to keep as too many low. people as possible. Yeah. yeah, sorry, too yeah. low. I would try to keep as many people as possible in that first 90 seconds. Yeah. And that's when we started doing intros. Yeah, because it was like, especially the first 30 seconds, because like, especially with any podcast, you're going to have a big drop off because that's, at least from my perspective, from our data, that just happens. Like no matter how good our intro has been, that's just how it happens. Other shows might, other shows and other audiences might be different. But that first 30 seconds before uh, we had talked to Patty, you're, we were looking at like maybe 63% still around at 30 seconds. We were talking to Patty and it was like, we have to try to get that up to high 60s. Most likely a good number would be above 70%. And how did we do that? We just started like taking basically everything we're doing is distilled down in the last three episodes of the podcast. It, and it, it's <laughs> yeah, like it literally <laughs> specifically. And it's just, yeah, it's just getting way more focused and flipping the switch and realizing two things that one people don't really give a shit about us. Like that's just how it is. And it's like, you're here for the information that you saw on browse and you're expecting that you don't, they don't care who Jay is. Yeah. A lot of times they don't even care who the guest is. They're more there for the information. Yeah. And the other flip in my head was realizing people are clicking to learn 
from our guests, not about our guests. Yes. And yes. and not learning from our guests in terms of their stories. I want to hear what did they actually do? Yes. I, like I, I we don't need the host in the intro to be uh you know like the guy raz style where it's like telling the story through their life that you can take uh, nuggets from, I want to hear exactly what he's doing right now. Yes. Yes. I don't even think about the show as an interview show anymore. Like, yeah. like I want everything to feel like a conversation more than an interview Yeah, because it's, it's more, I mean, we, we've been following our natural curiosity more and more. Like, like you just said, like if you listen to or watch the videos with Jake Thomas, Jamie Rossthorn, Patty Galloway and Ed from film booth, you'll literally be up to speed on everything we've learned because those conversations are what led to everything we're doing on YouTube. All of those episodes were conversations we had four months ago and started doing, and then yep. they, their episodes just came out. Yep. <laughs> I want to spend a little bit of time before we close out here talking about packaging, because I think it's an important concept, not even just for YouTube, but really any platform you're on. You know, what's really funny to me is a lot of the stuff people think is like new creator stuff, but so much of it comes from decades yeah. of old media, radio, traditional media, TV, reality shows. <laughs> you know, yeah. like packaging is not a new concept, no. but it's new to this class of creator yeah. who didn't have uh, an SVP or a boss teaching them how things are done here at CBS or yeah. <laughs> NBC or whatever. Right. So let's start with YouTube. How would you define packaging? Title and thumbnail it is mostly. And I, yeah, title and thumbnail, and then that kind of extends into the intro, um, just because the intro is has to be complementary to that because you have to reaffirm the click. So let me let me try to make a metaphor off the dome. We'll see how this goes. Yeah, it's Christmas morning. You look under the tree. You see all the packages. You can open any one of them that you want. Yeah. Which one are you going to pick? Right. The one that's most visually interesting to you. Yeah. Where you think you can guess what's on the inside, but you don't totally know. Right. You know, that's what's happening on YouTube. It's on the on the browse screen, on the recommended. People are getting shown, I don't know, a dozen, maybe more video options. Yeah. And they're going to click on one of them right. if they click on anything at all. So the content of your video doesn't even matter if people aren't compelled by the package to open it. Right. And then how the intro plays into that is if you open it and you find out your brother tricked you and it's just a big box and it ends up being socks and that's like a bad intro. Because you're like, oh, you got me with the click, but then you kind of debated me and I don't want this anymore. I don't like this. And if I saw that the from on that package was my brother, then I'm probably not going to open another package that is from my brother. Right. This metaphor turned out pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that applies to things like email too. You know, think about the subject line of your email as a package, the from, the from name on your email as a package, the experience of reading your email. If we didn't enjoy that package, we're not going to open it again. But the, the idea here, what makes a compelling package? What makes something that we can click on? Well, it has to be visually interesting, has to be psychologically interesting usually it opens a loop that yeah. like begs to be closed it's also clear in a way yeah like i think one of the issues uh, you may disagree with this we'll find out i think one of the issues with our initial package for jamie's video yeah was maybe the thumbnail wasn't as clear as we yeah. thought it was yeah the initial packaging on that was a complete miss like i i completely missed on that i think if we i think the two things with that episode is i missed on the packaging and the first part of the conversation that you guys have isn't as related to the packaging as it should be. So like with Patty's and Ed's episodes, the first, the, the, like the, the hot start would be 
diving right into the packaging. So with Ed's, it's talking about how to make ideas interesting. That's the first, I don't know, eight minutes. With Patty's, it's gonna, it's him talking about how you're not spending enough time planning. With Jamie's, the idea is how to steal a YouTube video and it's about brainstorming and picking apart what made other people's videos successful. But the first question uh, that I started the edit with was how has the YouTube landscape changed since uh, like you had started? Um, which is an interesting question in general, but that's not why they clicked. So yeah. I, I think I think that definitely hurt the performance. And also, just so listeners know, uh, the episodes are out of order from like how it actually, the conversation actually happened. So I reorder all of the different topics after categorizing them into a way that makes sense in the story and fits the packaging. The actual conversation doesn't happen the way it does in the edit. And we have to call that out because if you just watch it or listen to it, you wouldn't know it. Right. Because Connor does a great job of editing, but like, we also call that out to show you just how much work is going into this. Yeah. And we are not at the top of the game by any mm. means. Like we're, we're learning. We've gotten so much better over the last 12 months, but just wanted to call out, like if you're considering YouTube and you're not there yet, consider the, the time and work necessary. If you're not excited mm. about video or YouTube as a platform, you're going to, it's going to be hard for you to, play this game. Yeah. You're also going to have to cut stuff you like, because it's like our episodes, usually the interviews are 45 minutes to an hour and a half. And right now I'm, I'm, I don't want a video to be like over 35 minutes. So I'm cutting at least half of the episode. Yeah. Which sucks because you're like, ah, oh, but this is useful. This is like, isn't bad. Why yeah. should I cut this? But like, if you look at the results, I'm not going to say that the length of the episode is why the last two have been so good. But like, if you look at the trade-off you're making, like, would you rather have more people watch, finish, and share the episode at the expense of cutting some stuff out? Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's why we do this. Yeah. It's just it's it's to stay as focused as possible. Like I know on the the Jamie episode, one of the examples is like I had a question. We did talk about burnout at the end, which is the caveat to like leaving some of your focus is like stuff that's relatable or other people talk. So it's like obviously if two creators are going to talk about burnout, that's always a good topic. Like always people always talk about topic or that topic because people experience it all the time if you're doing that. So of course I'm going to leave that in. I'm just going to slide it to the end. Like yeah. no matter where it happens, I'm going to push that to the end because the the chances if you've sat there for 25 minutes, you're probably going to watch that part because it's interesting. Yeah. But if you clicked to learn about brainstorming and that was 10 minutes in talking about burnout, you'd be like, I thought this is something different than what I clicked on. We've been getting some comments lately of people saying like, I wish this was two hours long. Yeah. You know, like, no, which you is, don't. <laughs> I know. One, no, you don't. But two... That is why it's so powerful to make things short because that is yeah. exactly the feeling I want you to have yeah. finishing a video is I wish that was longer, not I don't want to watch the rest of this and click away. Yeah. And I think that's also a testament to not knowing how how much it's edited down of, yeah. of being like, you don't like you wish it was two hours, but it's like I can guarantee you the full hour you wouldn't have stayed for. Yeah. So I, I I've been thinking about this. You really... You want the experience of watching a video. You want to lose track of time. Yeah. Like you don't want to realize how long you've been watching. Yeah. It's just like, I can't stop. And the packaging plays a big role in that. Like you're saying, if I click on this for the package, I want the payoff or at least the topic to be happening quickly so that I don't even think about the fact that I'm waiting for the thing. Right. Yeah. Cause it, yeah. If, if you clicked, if I clicked on uh, Patty's episode, 
like, 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 let's say we package the Patty episode, like, like John Ushai's, where we're like Mr. Beast's secret um, YouTube consultant. If we packaged it that way, and then in the the first second, Patty's talking about you're not spending enough time planning, you might think, okay, maybe he's talking about Mr. Beast. And then you're going to go into the episode and you're like, Mr. Beast is mentioned like offhand once 20 minutes in. You'd be like, I don't, I don't quite get it. I, yeah. I clicked on this. And the thing is you wouldn't even make it 20 minutes. Yeah. You get five minutes in, you're like, where's Jimmy? I clicked on this for Mr. Beast. I, I clicked on this to know the behind the scenes details of this dude who works with my favorite YouTuber. Totally. Why aren't I getting that? And then that's a dissatisfied viewer. It's going to hurt the video and it's just the wrong audience. Totally. I was initially going to plan to cut this off around here, but there's actually something else that I want to talk about that I, I think people would. Uh, yeah, I, I have as much time in the world. We can keep going. <laughs> Let's make it two hours. That's what yeah. the people want. Yeah, this is fun. Um, I, I, I want to talk about our initial strategy on the channel of doing long form clips and shorts. Yeah. And now we're not doing that. Right. Um, but if you talk to a lot of people who do long form interviews on YouTube, they will tell you that you should do clips and shorts. Right. So let's talk about why we backed away from that. And I'll let you kind of take the floor on it. Yeah. So when we had started the, because of capacity, we were full length episode per week, five shorts and one clip. And a clip in our. A yeah. A clip being a longer than one minute landscape view, not vertical of the episode. So if you go on our channel, like Thomas Frank has one where he talks about why he makes everything free. There's one, uh, I think, I think the best performing or the best performing one is Justin Welsh's, which is specifically taking about like, um, his LinkedIn strategies or LinkedIn like profile, I think yeah, it's like yeah, how to make yeah, a great top LinkedIn tips profile for LinkedIn profile. Yeah. And then like Chris Doe's would be like, um, how this person did X or whatever. Yeah. So they're like, they're like two to eight minutes, eight minutes. Yeah. And those just, they didn't really hit and capacity wise and looking through like who our viewer was, I didn't think people would, would come to click for that. I, I think you'd have two separate audiences living on the same long form channel, which isn't something you want. Cause I think it's a completely different type of viewer. And the reason why I, we stopped doing shorts was mostly capacity and because you, you have to treat shorts as a completely different audience and taking my focus away from the long form and putting that onto an audience, a different audience when we didn't even have one in long form just didn't make sense. Yeah. Capacity is the biggest driver for why we're not doing that. It's not, yeah. it's not an invalid strategy. The thing about clips is clips are easy to package. Yeah. But in a interview context, I don't know if it makes for a great post click experience, especially, especially talking like education stuff. Cause most of the time when you're seeing clips pop off, it's usually like, it's usually ridiculous stuff. It like, it's someone saying something ridiculous. It's, it's like a controversial figure. It's something like that with education clips. It's really hard because like we'll open and normally what you would do, like, let's take film booth ed, for example, like why, why would you watch a clip from our podcast about Ed like talking about something specific versus the long form versus just going to Ed's channel and watching a video on the same thing. Cause Ed's ch Ed's short video is always going to be better than what we can do. Just taking out a podcast clip. So why is someone going to come to our channel to click on that? It seems like we're getting to a point where now, now I'm spitballing. We have enough recorded material that we might be able to make interesting. We'll say videos out of combining some of the similar topics that have gone across guests. Yeah. Something like we talk to X number of YouTube experts about how to come up with ideas. Yeah. 
and then do kind of like a tying together of clips from different interviews, probably with some transition direct to camera stuff in the middle. For sure. Yeah. And, and it's like, even, even when we're approaching that, it wouldn't just be a mashup. It would be like narratively done through VO. So it would be like talking about VO and, and formulating a story of like, this is how we're going to teach this to the viewers using previous episodes versus just saying, oh, this is good stuff from previous episodes. Let's mash it together and make an episode. Like we, we'd still have to do the prep work of making sure the packaging is sellable, making sure we can tell a story throughout it. So it's like very clear in the through line. This is why you're going to click on this video. Yeah. Okay. Well, that touched on a lot of the points I had. Anything that we didn't say that you think people listening to this should know if they're thinking about getting started on YouTube? With YouTube, it's very hard to get into if you're just looking for like an instant payoff. I think the only way you can, especially in the, I'm talking specifically like interview formats. Um, I think there's a lot of other things you can do on like entertainment wise that are different, but unless you have, unless you're one of the people that have massive budgets to be able to throw money at people who have already done it and like poach a team, it's going to take a while. Like even, even as good as the content we were making a year ago, wasn't popping off, even though it was good, like good content, people liked it, but it still took us a year talking to like the best people on the planet at YouTube to get to a point where we're like, this is kind of where we want the show to go. Yeah. And we're working with me, someone who has like a lot of context to the creator space, Connor, who's an incredible video editor. He also leads our packaging and ideation and planning for thumbnails with Jonathan, who's an incredible thumbnail artist. Yeah. Thumbnail Grail on Twitter. And Jonathan and I are both just straight up YouTube degenerates. Like <laughs> like OG, no inside and out. Like even even if even when I wasn't working in this, like all I did was I grew up just all I did was watch YouTube and Twitch. That's like it. That's just yeah. what I know. If you look at our channel, you can probably tell when Jonathan started doing our thumbnails. Uh, might be a fun game. Play play the game of when did Jonathan start doing our thumbnails? And which ones have been redone? And which ones have been redone? So we we are playing with a lot of advantages here, and it's tough for us. It's been a huge investment of time and resources on our part as well. So part of the reason I want to record this episode was to share with you what's gone well, what's been challenging, what you can expect if you're going to get into it. This certainly applies mainly to like a an extra long form video channel obviously. If you're yeah. if you're if you're getting on here to do like 4 to 12 minute videos, it's it's going to be a different experience for you. Sure. Similar principles Similar as far principles. as like whatever, but the the actual execution and specific application is going to be very different. Yeah. But I'm very glad we're doing it. I think it's going to pay off. We're going to continue to invest there for yeah. you know the foreseeable future and it's really exciting now that the videos are on spotify so if you look at our interviews with jamie patty or ed on spotify you can watch the video there or on youtube either way i'm a happy guy thank you guys for watching if you've checked out the channel if you want to hear more from connor probably what are you rocking most these days Follow me on Twitter. Twitter? Yeah. You're not, you haven't fully committed to Blue Sky? No, I haven't committed to Blue Sky yet. Also, yeah, I, I don't tweet mostly about like education stuff. So if you're looking for, for tips, I'm probably not the guy to follow, but I shit post and am a reply guy every now and then. And if that's your thing, you can follow me. At Connor Connaboy on, on Twitter. Jonathan is Thumbnail Grail on Twitter as well. 
But yeah, thanks for listening. Let me know if you like this episode. You can tweet at me at jklaus on Twitter or send me a message on Instagram at jklaus. I'm also on Threads now. Let's see if Threads is still a thing in a few days. <laughs> um, also at jklaus. And if you enjoyed this, leave a review. Reviews on Apple Podcasts go a long way. Helps us climb the charts. We're very close into like just consistently being in a top 100 position on Apple Podcasts in the entrepreneurship category. So keeping us there is awesome, would be amazing, and reviews the way to do it. All right, we should have uh, cut for an end card here. I'm just going to cool. cut now. Cut. <laughs>